we've been in a series on prayer, and each week we've shared humorous prayers from children. Let me just give you the ones that are for this week. Um, the first one is from Mark, who said, Dear God, I keep waiting for spring, but it never come yet. Don't forget. Um, or this one from Bruce, Please send me a pony. I never ask for anything before. You can look it up. <laughs> and then this one from uh, Raphael, If you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I won't I give you anything. I will give you anything except my money or my chess set. So these are prayers that are unanswered, okay? And that's our theme for today. So what we want you to do with these cards is if you have an unanswered prayer request in your life, we'd like you during the service today to write that out. And I would encourage you, because sometimes those are very private things, to do that maybe in a more generic fashion. Um, we're going to be collecting these when we collect the offering. You can put it in the offering basket. And then at the end of the service, we're going to make those available so you can take one as you leave the service and pray for someone. This is a way for us together to pray for the needs of, of the people here at City Church. So pay attention to that. I'll also mention that in the sermon this morning. Well, let's pray as we continue on with worship today. Father, we're grateful, grateful that you bring us into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ and because you invite us to communicate with you, to pray, to listen, to be involved in a relationship that is active and that you invite us to bring us the things that we care about. Father, this morning as we take on this difficult topic of unanswered prayer, give us wisdom and insight into both why sometimes you do and why sometimes we don't understand and how in the, in, even in the midst of those things we can trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In December, a little over a year ago, December of 2015, um, Kathy and I decided after a church service to go down to the Swedish Institute. It was December. Uh, we just love the way they decorate the, the old mansion. Um, if Kathy and I had a wish, it would be one month of the year to be Swedish. We're not, neither one of us, but uh, Swedes do Christmas better than anyone else. And so um, we decided to go down to the Swedish Institute. We had lunch in the cafe, and then we toured the exhibits. Now, just so we weren't distracted, we decided actually to leave our phones in our cars, uh, in our car, and um, it was almost 3 p.m. when we got back to the car, and we immediately noticed that both of us had multiple messages, multiple voicemail messages, and they were from my sister. My sister lives in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, not far from where my parents live, and she's a nurse, and for years she has helped my parents, who are now in their late 80s, navigate the health crisis that come with being that old. Now, rather than listen to the messages, Kathy immediately called my sister Susan, and what she learned and what we would hear later in the messages she left was that my mom had a very serious health scare. About noon, when my parents arrived home from church, my mom started talking incoherently, and what she said to my dad didn't make sense, and he realized what was happening, so he called 911, the ambulance came and uh, took my mother to the hospital. He called my sister, she arrived about the same time as the ambulance, and as my dad had concluded, he was right that my mother was having a stroke. Now, the doctors immediately examined my mom and suggested to my dad and my sister that they try a relatively new treatment called TPA. It's a medication that works to dissolve the clot and improve, improve blood flow to the part of the brain that's been denied uh, blood. But it comes with some, some risks, in fact, some significant risks. First, it has to be administered within the first three hours. And in my mom's case, it was administered at about the hour mark. And for some patients, TPA can cause bleeding to the brain and even death. But in my, case, in my mother's case, this TPA treatment worked. In fact, it worked seemingly miraculously. When we went back and listened to the voicemails that my sister had left along the way, the first one she left painted a very grim picture of what was going on. She said, pray, this is very serious. 
In the ER, my, mom, or my dad and my sister prayed, and along with the medication, my mom was brought back quickly. And by the time we actually talked to my sister at 3 p.m., she said, you won't believe this, but mom's about 95% of the way back. Um, she's talking and thinking clearly, and after a night in the hospital, um, because she was tired, uh, she went home, and a few weeks later, they couldn't tell any effects of that stroke. So prayer works, Right? Yeah, but, because things don't always turn out so well. Two years before um, my mother's stroke, my brother and his wife got a similar call from her father. He was on his way to the hospital with her mother. Um, They, too, suspected that she had a stroke. They rushed her to the ER. Doctors there also worked hard to um, stop the effects of the stroke, but they weren't so successful. Now, her mother didn't die, but she will never talk or walk again. She's aware of her surroundings. She hears. She seems to understand but things will never be the same. And then over the holidays, Kathy got an email, this is between Christmas and New Year's, from a college friend of hers named Sarah. Sarah and Kathy were traveling buddies in the years before the two of us married, and um, they met each other's families, and so Kathy loves Sarah's parents. In fact, they live in a building just adjacent to the one that we live in. Sarah's call, or email that day was to let her know that her dad was very seriously ill. He and his wife were at church just a few blocks away at Church of the Annunciation. He had given his confession. He'd returned to the pew. He sat down next to his wife, and then he slumped, slumped onto her shoulder. At first, she thought, well, maybe he'd fallen asleep or just was weary, but she soon realized something was wrong, and so they called 911. They came, rushed him to the hospital where they determined that he had a stroke. The family gathered and prayed, but things only got worse, and the next day, Sarah's dear friend's dad died. So what are we supposed to do? Does prayer work? My sister and my dad prayed, and uh, we would have prayed had we had our phones, and my mom fully recovered. My sister-in-law, Judy, prayed, and her mom lived, but they will no longer have those dear conversations they had several times a week that brought them such joy. And Sarah, well, Sarah's, uh, Kathy attended Sarah's dad's funeral at Church of the Annunciation. The church was absolutely packed, and so he did not live. Perhaps the most perplexing question that we have about prayer is why it doesn't always work. Repeatedly, we're told to ask God and he will answer us. After all, didn't Jesus say, whenever you ask, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Or how about this? If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Or this, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then finally this one, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. But the paradox here is that we're told by God to ask and he will answer. Yet so clearly not all of our prayer requests are answered. The sick person doesn't always get well. The pain doesn't always go away. The wayward child doesn't always come back. The unfaithful spouse may leave for good. And the financial hardship may leave us in a permanent hole. And so we wonder, is something wrong? You know, in some of those verses I read, you sort of notice what some people call the fine print of prayer, that we may have forgotten to ask in Jesus' name or not have enough faith or didn't ask something in accordance with God's will. So we try to get the words just right, to work up enough faith, to check twice, that what we're asking for is something God would be pleased with, and still our prayers aren't answered. Some of the difficult, most difficult moments in our lives are when we've prayed hard and the answer is no, and we don't know why. 
And so we can conclude maybe that God doesn't care or he doesn't exist or somewhere in between. Philip Yancey once wrote, I do not doubt that God answered prayer, but what I struggle with is the inconsistency. And I agree. So does prayer make a difference? I believe yes. But God has a big picture in mind. Not all the details are filled in, and so he invites us to pray and to work. Work to see God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven, but also to pray, asking that God's, God will work in our lives and in the world. And we have seen the prayers of God's people move history. There, the prayer is a part of the process, but it's a mystery how God's sovereignty over history and the prayers of his people interact to accomplish his purposes. That's how it works. It's not a formula, and there is plenty of mystery involved. We have the privilege, though, of coming to God and inviting him into our daily challenges. One time, William Temple, an Anglican bishop, was asked about, is prayer, prayer really work, or is it just coincidences? And he said, well, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. So when we pray, we find wisdom and courage and confidence and perseverance, changed attitudes, changed circumstances, even outright miracles, because we have an, a, a generous Father who delights in giving good gifts to us, his beloved children. But our prayers are not always answered. And it doesn't take much reflection for us to understand that sometimes that can be a good thing. Because sometimes our prayers are not answered because they're, they're frivolous. I don't know that God really cares who wins the Super Bowl. Although if God is a just God, the evil patriots will lose. <laughs> and what about our prayers for parking spaces? You know, maybe God just wants us to get a little exercise. You know, it takes a, a, only just a little bit of common sense to realize that at least some of our prayer requests are silly, meaningless, and even illogical. You know, what about the times that we're praying and the day we're going to the state fair, that there will be an absolutely clear sunny day, but farmers all over the state of Minnesota are praying for a two-inch soaking rain to help their corn crops grow. In one of the greatest speeches in American history, Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, at the end of the Civil War, that he said, both sides read the same Bible, pray to the same God. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither have been fully answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Now, none of us would expect God to answer prayers that are inconsistent with his purposes or prayers that violate the laws of nature. In fact, if God answered every single one of our prayers um, he would be turning over the world over to us to run. And, you know, frankly, we have a lousy track record at running this world. War, environmental destruction, political corruption, fraud, income inequality, poverty, all these things are things that we have done because we've had control over certain aspects of God's creation. So if we can accept that some of our prayers would be better off unanswered, let's talk about some of the categories that these might fit into. And the first is asking for things that we shouldn't be asking for. We need to acknowledge that some of our requests are at best unwise and at worst wrong. Now, let me give you some examples. I'm going to give you an example from the biographies of Jesus. And it's about two brothers who were among Jesus' 12 disciples. And just a spoiler alert, in neither of these stories do they look particularly good. Their names are James and John. And the first story is in Mark chapter 10. What they do is they come to Jesus and they say, we want you to do for us whatever you, we ask. In other words, they're taking Jesus up on this idea of asking for what they want. And he's, Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of what Jesus said, but let me just say that he was not happy 
with their request and did not give them what they asked. Or another story from Luke chapter 9. This time, Jesus and his disciples were traveling through an area called Samaria. Samaria was filled with people who most Jews thought of as half-Jews or people that were, um, didn't have the right beliefs. It was kind of a sketchy place, and most Jews avoided it because they didn't consider these folks to be religiously pure. Now, one of the villages they traveled through sort of had the same attitude back at them, and that was they, they rejected. Jesus and his disciples would not let them pass through the village. So James and John said this to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. So I guess he didn't want them to. The bottom line is that in both these cases, what they had were lousy requests. And we do this all the time. Sometimes our requests are unwise. Sometimes they're even destructive in ways that we don't understand. Often they're self-serving, short-sighted, or even whatever, for whatever reason, God just says no. The truth is that God loves us too much to say yes to our self-serving, materialistic, short-sighted, and immature prayer requests. James says in James 4.3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So God's not going to let himself be manipulated by our selfish desires. Sometimes the kindest thing that God can do is to say no to a selfish or irresponsible prayer request. One of the great saints of the 16th century once said, more tears are shed over answered prayer than unanswered ones. So if we're asking, if what we're asking for is unwise or we have inappropriate motives, God often protects us by saying no. So if we pray for success, but our real motivation is to show off, he might not give us what we ask for. If what we're asking for really isn't in our best interests, then we may be grateful later that God did not answer and give us what we wanted. And it's difficult for us to know if our motives are right. So one of the things we should do in prayer is ask God to examine our hearts, to reveal to us, to help us to understand where our motives might be incorrect. And when he does, to ask forgiveness and then present a request that is more in line with his will. So we don't get everything that we ask for because God is wiser than we are. He knows better than we do what's good for us. Sometimes what he gives us is far better, but we don't understand that until we see it in retrospect. In all of this, we need to know that God is wise, he is loving, and he's not a vending machine. Now, there's another reason that some of our prayers are not answered, and that is because our timing is off. Now, we live in an instant society. We want things right now. We get frustrated when things take time. We're like impatient children in the backseat on a trip who say, are we there yet? So we don't always understand why God makes us wait, but sometimes he does. Sometimes all he's asking us to do is to trust him. He wants us to trust that he knows what he's doing, and he has his reasons. So we should be wary at insisting that we always know better when a request should be granted. God's delays are not necessarily no. Sometimes they are just not yet's. It may be that God wants to test our faith. So when we get upset, let's not go and kick the celestial vending machine in the side just because we don't get an instant answer. When we do, we're being disrespectful. The question is, can we trust a loving heavenly father to give us what we need when we need it? Can we trust him even when we don't see immediate results? One of the things that we realize with just a little reflection is that sometimes the delays help develop important character qualities in us, such as endurance and patience and trust. So what God is doing is more important in us than what it is that we're praying specifically for. 
Let me give you one example from the life of one of the greatest Christians ever, from the life of St. Paul. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And what he's praying about here is many think an eye condition or some other uh, physical malady that affected him. And here's how he prays, or here's how he relates the experience. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So he had this condition that limited him in some ways, maybe limited his productivity, his ability to travel, we don't know. He prayed that he would be healed, but God didn't answer his prayer. And Paul came to understand that God had something even more important to do in his life to help him to learn to rely more fully on God. Now, I actually skipped a line when I just read that because Paul actually began his little story by saying, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. So Paul actually understood the reason why this had happened. Paul was acknowledging that there was a character flaw that needed attention. And this illness, what it did is it helped him to learn that he needed to rely on God, not on his own intellectual strength and power. It must have been frustrating, but he accepted it because in the end he said this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So if God had answered his prayer, Paul might have also become more comfortable and productive, but he also might have been filled with insufferable pride and then have been much less spiritually effective. Now, one of the main reasons that I believe God asks us to wait is because there's something inside of us that needs to be taken care of, something that needs fixing. So when our prayers aren't answered, sometimes we immediately go to what's wrong with God when we need to, in turn, come back and say, hey, maybe the problem is us. And let me give you some examples. One example is that it may be just our simple failure to pray at all. In James chapter 4, verse 2, James writes, You do not have because you do not ask God. And I've got to confess, this happens to me fairly regularly. So something happens, I get really concerned, and what's my first reaction to pray? No, it's to start doing things, to start trying to fix it myself. Or I just complain, or I blame someone, my wife, my boss, my parents, or the government. I'll do anything but pray. So here's what we need to remember. Any problem we face is an opportunity to pray. Now, that may well lead us to action. It may lead us to seek wise advice. We may need to speak out for justice, but we first need to pray. Another time the problem is unconfessed sin. This one's humbling, but if you look at Isaiah 59.2, he says, your iniquities or your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So sometimes when we pray, we need to ask God, is there anything that I need to repent of? Now, God expects us to live righteous lives. It's not optional. So if you're tolerating sin in your life, don't waste your breath praying until you deal with that sin, unless the prayer that you pray is a prayer of confession. God expects us to live lives of integrity, lives of sexual purity. God expects relational harmony. He expects us to work hard, to care about those who are less fortunate than us. So if we find ourselves living in sin, we need to confess it, receive God's forgiveness, commit to change, and then come back with our request. Now, let me just give a little sidebar here, and that is to say, 
you're saying, well, I, I, it's really hard to be perfect. So if I have to live perfectly in order for my prayer request to be answered, I'm, it's just not going to happen. That's not what we're being asked here. We're all going to struggle. We're not going to be perfect. But sometimes what we do is we treat God's commands like speed limit laws to be sort of roughly obeyed. You know, if we're not going too far out of the boundary markers, we say we're okay. The issue here is not individual sins. The issue is habitual sins and not taking God's laws, God's commands seriously. Another key issue is unresolved conflict. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, he says this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now, it may not be possible to be reconciled completely. It always takes two people to reconcile. But Paul added this to this idea by saying, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So we need to deal with unresolved conflict, which may mean sometimes it's conflict that we've initiated, sometimes it's someone else, but we need to do what we can to be reconciled with others before God will hear our prayers. And here's a tough one. Unconcern for the poor. Proverbs 21.13 says, whoever shuts their ear to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were clearly told to take care of the poor, orphans, widows, and the immigrants, the people who were part of vulnerable groups of people. So if we don't care about the vulnerable among us, people who don't have enough, people who don't have parents, people who have lost their husbands or immigrants, which in Israeli terms were people that didn't believe what they believed, didn't speak the languages that they believed, and were people who were wandering, sometimes desperate, If we don't take care of those people, God will refuse to answer our prayers. And that's sobering, isn't it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying, yeah, I've got a few things to clean up, and I know I get the fact that sometimes what I pray for isn't wise. But what about the really important thing that I prayed for, the thing that I know God is asking me to pray to him about, a good request, and the time is right, but still he's not coming through? We need to understand that sometimes we must trust God by believing in advance that what he may do may only make sense in reverse. As Isaiah put it in Isaiah 55, 8, God's ways are not our ways. And even Jesus needed to do this. Last week, we talked about his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he asked to be freed up from the cross, from his death on the cross. And God said no. And we now know that we're grateful God didn't answer his prayer because in the garden, God's no became his yes for all of humanity. It's the reason that we can be reconciled with God. Frankly, some things are a mystery, mysteries that won't be fully understood until we cross into eternity. Job asked God lots of questions. He said, why? Why me? And what did God tell Job? He said, you wouldn't understand and neither may we. We also need to remember that we live in an in-between time, a time between the resurrection when Jesus once and for all defeated Satan and his return when sin and death will be eliminated forever. In between, we know that God will have the final say when Jesus returns. And in the in-between time, there are times when we may need to understand that the request we're praying for may not be answered in this life, but it will be in the next. 
We also need to remember that prayer is not just functional. It isn't just about the prayer request. It's also relational. It's ultimately, prayer is about a conversation with a person. And so when we have nowhere else to turn, we know that we can turn to someone who loves us and cares for us, one who comforts us and one day will take us home to be with him. Some of you know a story from the Old Testament, a story about three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were friends of Daniel's. They got in trouble with a king named King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon because they refused to bow down before a national idol. The sentence for this was death in a fiery furnace, and they were afraid, but it didn't change their resolve to only worship the Lord God Almighty. They were caught, they were brought before the king, and he said, defend yourselves. And they said, well, we really can't because we've done exactly what you're accusing us of. And then they said, if we are thrown in, that is to the fiery furnace, the God we serve is able to save. And then they added, but even if he does not, we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. So what they're saying here is we believe God can save us. And if you know the end of the story, you know that he did. And yet they said, even if he does not, we're cool, we're okay. When God doesn't answer prayers, we could file a brief with the complaint department or we can trust God with whatever he thinks is best for us in the moment. We may still have questions, we may not still understand, but we can trust him with our lives because we have the perspective of eternity. Now, before I pray, let me just remind you of the cards that we uh, have in your program. And so there may be a prayer request that you've had maybe for a long time that you've been asking God for. If it makes you more comfortable, I'd love for you to fill that out and make it generic. You can be specific if you'd like, but it might be the prayer for a wayward child or a health concern or a broken relationship or a new job. Whatever it is, just write it down in the next few minutes and uh, we'll have the offering baskets uh, passed and we'd love to have you put that in. At the end of the service, again, we'll have baskets at the back with the ushers holding them and you can take one of those and pray for it this week so that together we can pray for the things that concern us. And when we pray, you know that perhaps there's a Christian tradition that we end the prayers, our prayers, with the word amen. And when I was a child, I thought that meant amen, and I was confused because over half the people in my church when I was growing up were women. But it was only later that I came to understand that the word amen means roughly, so be it. In other words, when we finish our prayers, we're saying to God that we are trusting him with our needs. We pray, we do the best we can, and we leave the results in his hands. Let's pray. Father, some of the most difficult moments in our lives are when we've prayed hard and the answer is no and we don't know why. We thank you that when we pray a foolish prayer or an unwise prayer or even a sinful prayer that you protect us. And we acknowledge that sometimes the problem is us that we have things that we need to deal with, even sins we need to confess. And so we ask that you would reveal these things to us. But Father, we also understand that sometimes what we're facing is mystery. Help us to trust you, even when we do not understand your ways. And let us pray and receive the answers to our prayers. But first of all, leaving everything in your hands, so be it, amen.